Family, well, we are um, hitting Genesis right now, so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to jump right in. Uh, if you are new here, we're going through, we go through books of the Bible. That's just what we do. We, we want to have the whole counsel of God's Word, and we've already seen already through uh, Genesis that if, if we didn't do this, we probably would stack the deck and wouldn't teach on some passages. So I love that we go through books of the Bible because then we hit one that's pretty weird and, and we got to go through that chapter too. And uh, so that's what we're doing. We're in Genesis chapter 33 right now. Um, very, this is, is going to be a, we've, it's been intense. Genesis has been an intense book. And I'm glad we've been taking a few breaks because uh, so I haven't seen anybody jump out any windows. So that's been great. But this is a very intense book. And this is a very uh, hard passage. This was an interesting passage for me. Uh, because it's dealing with a very interesting topic, uh, the topic of, of reconciliation and forgiveness. Okay? Now, <laughs> now um, let me give you a snapshot real quick. Um, the book of Genesis, a beautiful book. We, we begin the book by, by realizing that, that God has created all things and that he created everything ex nihilo, the Bible says. That for, he created all things out of nothing. Right? He didn't take stuff and then out of stuff begin to create. But he created out of nothing. And what's really cool is he created out of, not out of outage, but he created out of abundance of love. Uh, and that's beautiful because we do things out of outage. We always talk about that. We get a girlfriend because we're lonely. I mean, you fill in what you do and then fill in the blank of what you're trying to feel. Right. So, you know, why I feel like I need to be cool. So you get a nice car or you figure it out. It's just our whole journey. Right. Well, God is not like us. He's so other. And so what he does is he does something different. Um, he, he creates out of abundance because he has so much love and he's so cool. He's like, man, I want other people to experience how cool I am. And then he, he blesses other people. Uh, that's, that's how he created. So God creates. Um, and then what he does, he, he creates us and then he provides man as being an apex of creation. And then he, uh, what he does, he begins to allow us to, to have this, what they call a communicable attribute. He allows us to have a relationship, just like he has a relationship with the Trinity. Uh, so he has this perfect fireball of love, the Trinity, uh, that we see. Uh, they're just loving each other, caring for each other, uh, lifting each other up. And there's no one jealous, right? Holy Spirit doesn't get mad at Jesus because he said a secret to the Father. There's none of that, right? Is that there's this beautiful fireball of love. And then we get to retell that story um, by having relationships. Uh, we get to experience great love, and then what that does is it points to Christ, who is love, and then that's how God is fully worshipped. Um, but what happens is because of the fall, um, we, um, we have the audacity to think we're our own God uh, and to, or, to raci- or to worship created things, and we sin, and all of a sudden, not done away with, praise God, but our image is extremely marred. Okay, because of the fall. And now what happens is those relationships that we were supposed to have, the purity of the relationship, the beauty of the relationship, where it's supposed to be give and take, no one's hiding, no one's consuming. Now the, 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 the narrative changes and the narrative is one of hiding and suspicion. Right. In that our life. So in the narrative now. And, and so and as it were, all of a sudden, free and naked, what does Adam and Eve do? They clothe themselves and begin to hide themselves. Okay? And then so what we have and what we see in the beginning is we see the sort of the unraveling and the beginning destructive destruction of relationships as they were. Supposed to be to be lying to the glory of God, but now they remind us of our sin. Okay? 
Uh, what's, so, what's so cool about the Lord, though, is we see that continually happening. Uh, we're going to talk about the beauty of Christ, and I want us to, I want us to stay there since this, just sit in that for a little bit. And uh, we see now, uh, even in our lives, what we're going to see right here, how relationships are, are continually uh, broken and fractured. Uh, but as we talk about relationships, I want to I set the stage a little bit. I've got to deal with some definitions real quick because what happens is we've got to make sure that we're not naive when we're discussing relationships. Although broken, although messed up, there's hope. It's only in the gospel. It's only in the cross where we can actually step over the divide of sin right, and actually begin to reconcile, begin to have those relationships be what they are intended to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. But before we talk about that, let's look at some definitions. Okay. Uh, reconciliation, first thing. So reconciliation means to reestablish a close relationship between a person and to settle a resolve. But notice something. That's different than forgiveness. Okay? Forgiveness is the act of excusing a mistake or offense. Now, before we talk through this, I just want to make sure because uh, we're going to look at an example in Scripture but the example isn't holistic, so I want to talk through holistically the philosophy of when we talk about relationships and how, how theology sort of influences our, should influence our thinking. A lot of times what we do as Christians is we'll say, well, if I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to love everybody and everybody's supposed to like me. Right? And, and we, so, we get, so we feel, so that's what happens, right? You get in a situation uh, where there's been conflict, there's broken relationship. And then you almost feel like, oh, my goodness, if I'm not if I don't show that I'm good friends with them again, then I don't then right. Then I don't seem as holy as I should look. You see what just happened there? Just that quick. It was, it's not about the gospel anymore. It's about how you look. Well, I want to propose to you um, a few things first. Now, the Lord does. He, there, there's, a, there's some principles of reconciliation that the Lord wants us to really swim in as we do life as believers. And as people are here right now, you like don't love Jesus, but you're trying to figure this thing out. And you're wondering how to make my life better. Uh, you can follow these principles. I don't know how you're going to do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. But here are some principles. Romans 12:18. Notice this. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. OK, Matthew 5, you get the sense of, he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, very, very different than the world, right? So it's saying, you know, someone hates you, you're to pray for those. You're you, you to love your enemies, you're to care for them, right? He says, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. Uh, that God is sovereign over all things. Here's how I want you to act in relationship. Now, how many people does it take to forgive? takes one. takes one person to forgive, right? If you hate me, you do something wrong to me. Like, and that's why Jesus can, can tell you, he can say, hey, I want you to forgive people who don't like you. I want you to love them. I want you to, because they might play you, they might hate you, but you are called as a believer to forgive them. You're called to, to excuse a mistake or offense. Say, you know what? You, you, you did that because we're in a fallen world, messed up. I want to forgive you. But see, that's different than reconciliation. And what we've got to be careful is that we don't mix up reconciliation and forgiveness. How many people does it take to reconcile? It takes two. Okay? That means, so, but in essence, in a definition in itself, is that if you, can, if you have never settled and resolved something, right, you can forgive. But if the person sinned against you and never repented, how will there be reconciliation? 
Now, I'm bringing this up because I'm, I'm wanting us to think like believers, not like not this whole pop culture evangelicalism. OK, pop culture evangelicalism says, you know, well, bygones be bygones. I know you did that wrong thing. You never really repented, but I'm going to kind of sort of coexist with you because I want to look good with everybody. It seems to me that there's something about reconciliation can't happen if there's still sin. I'm just trying to keep it real. Man, why are you trying to cause dissension? No, I'm trying to make you a biblical Christian. And that when sin is still there, God is saying, you have made a mockery of the cross to act like there's biblical koinonia fellowship when there's still sin in the camp. So, so, and, and that's why Romans 12 says what it says. That's what he says. As far as it depends on you, keep peace. You want to keep peace, as far you know, I want to forget, but, but sometimes you won't be able to have that kind of peace because somebody's saying, I, you ever had that? You, you, you humbly come to somebody, hey, um, I know I did, I did some wrong things to you. I want to ask for forgiveness. Well, you should ask for forgiveness because you're always doing wrong things. Oh, okay. Um, um, hey, yeah, I do do wrong things. That's why I need the gospel and... Uh, but I, but I hope you can forgive me and, and 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 be friends. Well, why would I want to be friends with you? I mean, I've seen how you do this to other people too. Oh. Okay, um, how do we try this again? Uh, <laughs> have you ever had that? You you humbly come to somebody and they just keep throwing sin stones at you, accusing you, as it were, reminding you, versus going, oh, you're broken. Okay, I forgive you. Well, I'm telling you, it'll be hard to have peace with that, with that in the way. My point is just to make a point that reconciliation and forgiveness are different. Okay? One can forgive, two has to reconcile. We are called to forgive even if, even if the person doesn't repent. So that means you're not called to harp those stones. Okay? But I'm proposing, I'm, I'm thinking you, it seems that you're, you're, well, first I think there's a gospel issue there, and you're simply unwise when there's sin in the camp, when there's sin there, and you guys continue to play, you know, skipping, frolicking through the hills somewhere, like everything's cool. Reconciliation, reconciliation occurs when we have dealt with our differences. Okay, so that's that. So I'm, that, I'm just saying that's the groundwork of us talking about relationships. Okay? Let's keep going. That's hard. I mean, isn't that kind of quiet in here? I, I struggle too, guys. I'm telling you, this has been beating me up. Watch this. Chapter 33. You ready, guys? Okay. It's going to flow through. Hey, this is a very interesting passage. We've been doing this all, all narrative. Not tons of... Uh, there, what, what I don't want to do here is I want to look at some... Just some I'm trying to separate theology from just wise principles, Okay. So we're going to talk about a few principles. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very interesting account, so there won't be tons of in-depth theology, but we'll have some good application at the end, okay? So I'll try to separate the two. Let's start with verse 1. It says, Jacob, um, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. Now, where are we at? Where are we at in the story? Remember? So Jacob has just wrestled with the Lord. Um, Jacob has just gotten a promise from God that, hey, uh, well, he prayed to the Lord, Esau is, you know, hey, Esau is going to try to kill me. May you help me, Lord. Uh, he wrestles and sees God face to face. In essence, he's realizing, like, man, I wrestled with the Lord. He's way more bigger than Esau. And so if I wrestle with God and he spared me, then I'm going to trust that, you know, I can trust the Lord that he'll spare me from Esau as well. Right? Okay, so 
And we're dealing with a guy who gets a name change. Uh, this is a guy who's been, he's third generation of figuring out this whole relationship with God, right? Because his, 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 uh, his granddad, you got Abraham, then you got Isaac, then you got Jacob. Uh, he's walking on this journey. He's been a conniver, a deceiver, uh, which is what his name means. All of a sudden, uh, he gets this wrestling match. He gets his name changed. New man, by God's grace, um, like all of us, if you said yes to Jesus. And he goes on his new telus now. So now he enters into this scenario uh, with Esau. Last time he talked with Esau, Esau said, hey, when daddy dies, I'm going to figure out a way to murder this man. So now he sees this man, and this man has 400 men, and the last thing he heard from this guy was, I'm going to try to kill you. Okay? So that's where we are right now. Uh, with, that in, with that being said, he um, says, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. Uh, so uh, he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and two, other ma- two maidservants. Verse 2, he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, uh, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. All right, so I was half right from last week. I didn't, I didn't stack the deck. Obviously, well, at least Rachel made it to the middle, all right? She made it to the middle of the pack. Uh, but basically, this could be an issue of him not trusting God, or it can be wisdom. Um, the, the scriptures don't tell me in the sense of, like, how do I save some of my stuff? Because last time I checked, if you realize Esau is not a believer, Jacob is a believer, and so he could be going, I don't know what this guy's going to do because sin is utterly sinful. I better watch my back and protect my stuff. So it could be wisdom or it could be him. We, we know that before it was an issue of him saying, God, I don't really know if you're going to provide, so I'm going to protect my stuff. So it could be either or. I'm leaning toward that he really was trying to put things in his own hands, and that's why he put his maid service in front first. You know, you can kill them. They don't mean much to me. we got Lee in the middle. That's, I'm just telling you what the man did. I didn't write the Bible. All right? Be mad at Jesus. I propose that, yes, yeah, for sure that we're going to see Esau is not a believer and Jacob is a believer. If Jacob's a believer? Oh, by the way, uh, yeah, we ask questions in our body if you're new here. And that's what I love about the gospel. That's, okay, that's what I love about the gospel, is that you can't go, well, so he did these six things, so he must be a believer. That's the beauty of the gospel. What we see in Jacob is we see God continually having a relationship with him, God by his grace using him, by God his grace allowing Jacob to respond to God, to worship God, to build altars to God, to say, the God of Israel is my God. And you go, but, but he did all these bad things. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that the reason why I'm with Jesus and I can spend eternity with the Lord and I reign with him right now is because, not because I do good things, but because I trust a good God. That's the beauty of the gospel. And Jacob got it. That's the difference. Is you got two bad men and one's trusting Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. Two whacked out. He got all kind of hoochies. He's doing all this crazy stuff, but he trusts the Lord. And look at him. What In heaven. Isn't that crazy? Man. Okay. I, you know how your boy is. So, yeah, so that's the beauty of the gospel. And if you're new and you don't know Jesus right now, that's the beauty of the gospel. Is that Macav and any biblical-centric church isn't asking you to jump through hoops, but trust the Savior. Trust your Savior. So now I sin, and I don't take it lightly. I'm pursuing holiness because I trust my Savior. 
I confess to my Savior. I know I'm not accused because the accused of the brethren can't accuse me because I've given my life to Christ. You have to accuse Christ. Oh, you can't accuse Christ because he's righteous and he's given me his righteousness. Oh, I guess you don't have any accusations anymore. Praise him, right? So, so that's the beauty of the gospel. See, what a, what a great depiction, right? Great depiction right there. Esau foul, Jacob foul. Jacob says, man, I hope God gets me into heaven. Um, praise the Lord. So let's continue to go. Um, where was that? I'm sorry, guys. So, um, so Leah, so yeah, Leah, you know, in the middle. Verse 3, he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Notice this, sign of humility. So this would be a principle, right? Not theological premise. It just seems there's some wisdom in when you want reconciliation, that there is some sense of humility. Humility has to be the rubric in which you work in. If you have any arguments, if you're mayor, you get this, right? Basically, 98% of your arguments is because somebody doesn't want to give grace, right? Somebody's going to be humble enough to say, so what do I need to own, right? We don't go into arguments and go, the first thing, oh, you're arguing? Well, let me see what I need to own. No, you go, wait a minute, but you did this and you did, right? And here's a guy realizing that, you know, he's, this guy wants to murder him. He, he bows down seven times to say, I'm... I just I want to disarm you by saying, man, I know I was a jerk. This is this is probably his way of saying, will you forgive me, bro? I, I'm just you're Lord and I can't believe what I did. I hope you have mercy on me. He bows down seven times. Look at this, though. And that's disarming. My wife is the, is the queen of disarming. It makes me so mad because she's so godly. She is so quick to recognize her sin and repent. And it doesn't give me enough time to make her feel bad about it. I know it's bad, but that's why I trust the Lord. See, you do it too. I mean, I'm like, no, you hurt me, and you need to know that hurt it. And she comes over all quick and stuff, talking about, I know I hurt you, and she names a sin, and will you forgive me? And I'm like, crap, not this quick. Wait a minute. It's disarming. What are you going to do as a man of God when your wife humbly says, I repent of what I've done? All you can do is go, yeah, and here's what I did, honey. And, <laughs> right? Because you look like an absolute jerk to sit there and still be mad. It's amazing. It is disarming when people have humility, true humility, and come to you to saying, here's where I'm at. Is that right? Is that, is that kind of fair? So he sits down, and look what happens. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Ran and embraced. In near ancient Eastern culture, you did not run as a man. Kids ran. When you ran, like, like, when you ran it was a sign of like you didn't have authority, that you, like you were a punk. He ran to his brother, and he, it says, throws his arms around him, his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. And they wept. Can you imagine they haven't seen each other in years, about 20 years. They're weeping. You know what this, you know what this cry fest is. And he's thinking about what I did. You know, Esau's thinking about what he did. They're, they're, man, I can imagine. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered. They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Key point from a theological perspective. So how do we know Jacob is about the Lord and Esau is not? Notice, Esau never mentions God in his journey. He never, get, he never ascribes his stuff to the Lord. Look what the Lord did. Very interesting that Jacob will say over and over again, I don't think it's just religious talk. 
He's only a couple generations. He hasn't learned the game like us. We got thousands of years of baggage, right? He's like, man, the God gave me the, the Lord. The Lord gave me this stuff. Right. They're the children. God has graciously given your servant. Then the maid servants and their children approached and bowed down. Now check this out. So that's verse six. Verse seven. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all, came, J- uh, came Joseph and Rachel and they too bowed down. Uh, Esau asked, what do you mean by all these droves I met? Now, notice something here. Here's another. It's just, I just was thinking about this. Notice that the, that the author saw it important to show us that the brides and the children followed their dad's humility. And I begin to think about how many people in our, this, in our journey, as we walk with the Lord in this community, usually relationships stay fractured, not because of the men that I've been involved with in my, in my journey wanting to, re, to, to re-thread the relationship, but because the wives are tripping. Many times. I'm just, I'm just, 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 just prince. I'm just, this is what I've, this what I've seen. Very interesting. I just, you, have you seen that? I mean, what would have happened if, you know, he gets off, he tries to hug Esau, and they're hugging, and then the kid goes up to Uncle Esau and goes, hmm, yeah, he's just as ugly as Dad said, <laughs> or something negative. I wonder what would happen. I wonder, I wonder how that would have helped the relationship. I just think of reconciliation. It's just very interesting that, that the family followed behind the dad's steps and that, 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 that there seems to be something about when you think just in wisdom, if you're going to have reconciliation, see, right now we have in this room many broken relationships. Many of you right now are like, man, and you think about people that you know you have either wrong, you're either the criminal or the victim. And I want to propose to you that even when you talk about reconciliation, the family component is very important that your wife and your kids, all that matters in the realm of reconciliation. Um, he bows down. Look, he says, um, uh, Then the maidservants and the children approached and bowed down. Leah, verse uh, 7, verse 8. Esau asked, What do you mean by all these droves I met? Uh, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. Um, now, I think, again, here you have a situation where he's wronged Esau, and he's trying to pacify Esau because of what he's done. But you know what's also very interesting? It seems that there's something about reparation when you wrong someone. It seems to me that there's some wisdom about us wronging someone, and guess what? Making it right. Again, from this text, I think it would be inappropriate to say that's the theological meaning of this text. I'm just talking about everyday life. When I think about our body, I'm asking you a question. In my life, in your life, if you lie on someone, do you go back and make that right? The people you lie to, do you tell them what's true? If you gossip, do you go back and make that right? If you're stealing, do you pay it back when the Lord gets a hold of you? If you're in fornication and you're sinning against a girl, knowing that it takes two of you to have sex, but the Lord gets hold of you, do you go back and do you repent? And do you keep your hands off of her until you're willing to marry her? Do you make it right? Or do you say, well, okay, thanks, Lord, for revealing that to me. Just keep trying to move on. Do we look at our sin and the things that we do to fracture relationships and say, it is important to repair the relationship? 
And that the things that I've done, I want to make right. Just seems to be a wise principle as we walk with the Lord. Esau said, I already have plenty. Look at this. So he wants to give Esau some stuff. Hey, man, I'm, I'm balling. I got all kind of money. I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. He insists. Look, no, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me memorably, me favorably. Now, okay, um, as we talk about biblical interpretation, what happens when you see that, that line? Does that remind you of anything? For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. No, no, Moses, well, well, could, well, well, might for the person who's reading this, so that's good. But for these guys at this point, because Moses is not born yet, but here's the thing. He just said that a couple, remember a couple verses ago. He said, remember, I saw the face of God and I didn't perish, and I was still, my life was preserved. Remember that? That's what he said. So, what, so what's going on here? When you think of, when you think of biblical interpretation, he, he, it's almost, what, what is he saying? See, like, like, so just as God preserved me, you are being gracious to preserve me. Almost reminding us as a reader, he answered prayer. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. He's just not doing good poetry and stuff. I think he's really trying to remind us of something that has happened. Because he has just seen the face of God, guys. Remember? So I'm proposing, I don't think it's theologically enough to think that he's trying to connect the dots here. Now that you have received me fairly, please accept the present uh, that uh, was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me in all that I have need. See, again, God being exalted. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. Now check this out. Then Esau said, let us be on our way and I'll accompany you. So, so now they get together. Reconciliation is happening. Praise God. We get a good story here. And Esau's like, let's hang out forever. He wants to kick it. Let's be boys. Look what happens here. I'll come to you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and the cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. Excuse me. So let my Lord go on ahead and ser- of his servant while I, while I move along slowly at the pace of the droves before me and that of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Okay. So he's like, man, he... You know, I'm a shepherd, I'm a, I'm a farmer, you're a hunter-gatherer, right? Remember Esau's deal, he will hunt and gather, and he was like Tristan on, you know, Legends of the Fall, and this is, you know, kind of, you know, wimpy dude, this does a shepherding thing. He's like, we, we're different people. And you know, you know, this show, you know, this is interesting, just again, just a little practical insight. Again, this isn't, this isn't, I will, I will propose, this is the interpretation of the text, this is a practical insight. There seems to be something here about how we as people, Right, you get reconciled. It doesn't mean you need to now be best friends with everybody. It seems interesting that he realizes who he is in the Lord, and he's like, you know, we're boys now, we're reconciled, but God, I'm doing my own thing with the Lord now, and I'm I'm not gonna kick it with you, and that's okay. And I just, I'm just, and I say that because I, I just, I'm, I'm, what we as a body, what we do as people is we think, oh, I'm reconciled now, so what, I need to call you all the time again, and, and we have different lives. I mean, there's people I'm reconciled with, guys, but here's the reality. God has me here in this community, okay? This is where God has me. 
So it's nothing personal that I'm not kicking with people that I reconcile with. God has called me to be on mission here at McAfee. And so if I get extra time in my schedule, I'm not going to just kick it in Northville. I'm going to, I'm going to hang with one of y'all. I'm going to pour into one of y'all. I'm going to be in this community, serving this community, because this is where I'm at. And people go, well, we, we never hang out. Well, man, we'll move to Mac Ave. <laughs> and I'm amazed at how we, guys, let's be honest. Can you get, let's be honest together. Isn't it amazing? You have relationships. Imagine, some of you guys are managing all these relationships all over the nation. You're running around, and you're calling this person, and you're calling that person. You want everybody to think you're just so good, and you're such a good person. And you're not being any value to anybody. And, and, and ask yourself, just ask yourself, why are you doing it? Why are you managing all this stuff? Why is it hard for you to go somewhere, plant, and be kingdom? Why is that hard? Versus, no, I got these friends here and I got these friends. I'm not saying you can't have home. I got friends all over the nation. But here's where I'm at. This is where I am. And it seems to me that there's something wise about Jacob getting, bro, we're just different people. And I'm going here to be about God's business, to raise my family, and do my farming. You're a hunter-gatherer. We see each other. I ain't going to hate you. Hug me. We don't have to sit around trying to affirm each other all night and hug a big old hug fest. We don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. Are you hearing me, guys? Some of us need to, re- guys, Matt you need to really consider before the Lord, why do I have the relationships I have? What am I, what, is it really because I'm, God wants me to do that? Or am I really trying to show, like, wow, look at me, I'm just... I'm scared to have anyone have disapproval of me, so i got to have, just have this veneer of that I'm close to everybody. I don't know the answer, but I just love this clear example. He says this to his, his twin brother. My brother, he's in Cleveland. I love him. We're two different people. He doesn't love God. I mean, I won't trust him with my kids. Some of you guys have parents. They're totally, they're like crazy pagans. They don't love the Lord. And instead of you protecting your family enough to say, it's not healthy for my kids to be around you in these ways, you get caught up thinking, well, i got to please you. know what I mean, it's my mom. It's, the Bible says love your mother and father. And you've messed up the text, and you think that means to sacrifice your family. I'm just asking you to do the homework. Do, do the hard work and say, like, what does it look like for me to understand where people are, to see the good and the bad in it, and say, what's going what's gonna to bless the kingdom here? And so my brother loved him to death. See him? He might listen to this online and get mad, but the reality is I don't kick it with him. You know why? Because I'm in Detroit. There's a ton of relationships that homies want me to manage all over the place in Cleveland and, and, and Cincinnati, and, and it, just, it just can't happen. And I remain faithful. Something's going to give. This seems practical, guys. Um, so he says, hey, man, doing my own thing, going to see her. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. Look at it, he's still trying. Then let me leave some of my men with you. Uh, but, oh, oh, you know, let me stay, keep this connect. Well, but why do we got to do that? E, Jacob asked, just let me find favor in your eyes. Can, I, can you just bless me? Can we just affirm that we're boys? You ain't got to leave nobody with me. We're cool. We repented, we hugged, we cried. You know? Now, hear me. I'm just trying to keep it real. If you're close and you, and you live near each other, cool. But see, he got it. I'm just saying, understand your journey before the Lord. Um, so that day Esau started on his way back to Syria. Jacob, however, went to Succoth. Very interesting, Succoth. I love that. Um, 
Thank you, suckers. Uh, where he built a place, I just, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for livestock, which is, that is why the place is called Succoth, because Succoth means shelters. Um, after Jacob came from Paddan Aram, he arrived safely at the uh, city of Shechem in Canaan, in Canaan and camped with, um, inside of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he brought from the sons of Hamor, uh, the father of Shechem, uh, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. Uh, there he set up an altar uh, and called it El Elohi Israel, right? The, like the God, the God of Israel is God. Or my God is the God of Israel. His point play on words. I'm Israel. He's my God. Another affirmation. He's like, wow, man, God is doing his thing. So we talk about this. Very interesting passage here. Uh, it seems that, uh, so why is this here? Well, obviously, just a narrative of history, guys. This isn't some weird fable. Uh, we believe as believers that this happened. So the main reason why this is here is because this happened in history, and, and the Lord is helping us see history unbridled, um, unabridged. And uh, secondly, though, and, and I would say most importantly, here's why this passage is here. Because he's given us a clear image of reconciliation, Okay, and forgiveness, he's showing us what does it mean when enemies become friends because he wants us to understand something about the cross. My wife's favorite passage here, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 29, you come to my house, it's hanging on the left side of my wall. Um, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see that? This is from God. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Don't miss what he's saying there. Guess what he's saying? Just as we just looked at Jacob, Jacob sinned, messed up, big time, few times with this guy, was totally demonic as he was being used and, and, and using those lives to, to dog this guy, to, to, to gratify his own sinful desire, to manipulate and deceive, and deserve death, as it were, deserve death, what happens? God, God in his grace allowed the man of God who probably wanted to kill him, should have killed him, did not, gave him mercy, embraced him, and cried and hugged. And guess what? That's just a small, a small understanding and a small typology of what Jesus did at the cross for you and me. So when, we look at this, when you look at this passage, what he wants us to get is the gospel. Don't you see the gospel in that? Don't you see the beauty in that? Don't you see that God is saying, you are an enemy of God. And then what Jesus does is while you are an enemy, not when you get better, but while you are an enemy, I, through my murder and sacrifice and resurrection, made you my friend. Nothing you did. See, he ran a tomb not because he gave him animals, right? He didn't say, how many? Oh, 40 lambs? Come here. <laughs> it was none of that. He ran up to him before any of the stuff. Seems to be some sense of typology of how Jesus says there's absolutely nothing you bring to the table. I already was murdered. I already rose from the dead. I already reigned. I've already paid for sin and a penalty of sin. And now if you would just experience my embrace, if you would now experience reconciliation, if you would now admit that you are a sinner, that you are evil, and you need Jesus, and that you will repent of your sin and come and fall into my arms, he says, I will comfort you. He says, we will be reconciled, and guess what? Now I will unleash you as my missionary to now take that reconciled message that you've experienced in the gospel to the nations. And that's why you are here at Macav.
Do you see it, beauty? Do you see it, my? Do you see it, guys? You see it, family? How God has made it full circle. You were you were born beautiful. You killed yourself and was on this road of destruction to hell and a lake of fire. And then I recreated you to put you back on mission to experience that humanity that I called you to have in the beginning and to experience now. What does it mean to be on mission for me? What does it mean to image me well? And now he has committed to us the mess of reconciliation. And that's why we, I can get frustrated and people think what we do in this community is a Macab thing. No, 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 no. See, we, you say you're a Christian, we call you on that. That's Christianity. If you're a Christian, in a journey, we learn how to be reconciliation agents. Okay? And we want to put you there. We want to keep you, train you, help you understand that. We know it's a journey. We know it's going to be new. We, we will go on that journey with you, but you got a journey. Because we put everything on the cross. Agents. See that story? Not just, oh, just in history. God was even in history helping us understand a theological truth. So now what, guys? Let's ponder this. See, here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is the only person who helps us understand what to do with sin. And I'm talking from the perspective of a relationship to stay true to the theology that God's thinking of the passage. Okay, obviously he's the only person who knows what to do with sin as far as payment. I mean, if you, you got to get that or you don't even understand the gospel, man, and I'm... I'm really nervous for you. But even in the sense of our relationships, he's the only person who knows what to do with sin. Because there's three ways we, we, do, we deal with sin. We either are bitter people, okay? Some of you right now are just bitter. You've been hurt. Something has happened to you. And you don't want redemption. You don't want to reconcile a relationship. You just sit there and you're just mad. My sweet, poor mom is a bitter agent. My dad beat her. He did not lead well. He's a drug addict. And so she sits there. She hates men. She hates life. And she just sits there and just throws just these anger balls. That's all she does. Because life is over because she can't experience reconciliation. She can't experience forgiveness. She can't do it. And so now what happens, well, here's what's, scary, here's what's sad about that. You see that? Void of redemption and change. See, what happens is when you're a bitter person, you're acting like Satan. Okay, because what Satan does is even when a person gets right, he still says you're wrong. That's why the scriptures say he's the accuser of the brethren. He goes to God and says, no, but he still masturbated. No, but he still lied to her. No, but he still didn't read his Bible this week. How is he perfect, God? He didn't read his Bible. And then Jesus said, already paid that. Already paid that. Already paid that. Continue conversation. You no longer can accuse the brethren because the brethren rest in Christ. So you're either bitter, and guys, I just pray that you're not bitter right now. Is there someone you just hate? Someone who's done you wrong? They haven't forget, they don't love God, they don't give a rip about you, and you're just like, I want them to die. And bitterness is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Because you can't live. Or, or, are you the person you just can't, yeah, the person who asks for forgiveness, and you just always got to remind them of who they were. We're talking two Christians now. They've already been bought by the blood of the Lamb, and you won't remind them of that. You remind them of the old man. Mercy on us if we do that. 
We are always to be grace dispensers, experiencing the gospel and letting people experience the gospel. Or we're naive, right? We're naive people. This is probably the norm in Christianity, okay? Naive people who think, oh, things happen to me, but I got to keep on this nice little Christian face, or people going to think I'm really mean. If I actually say I'm not talking to that person because they're sin, that, doesn't, that seems really weird. I can't do that. I'm a... And we walk around, and we're people pleasers. That's really idol worship. You're worshiping yourself. If you're a people pleaser, you're, you're, it's idol worship. You're saying, I, got, I want people to have a certain view of me, so I can't do the unpopular thing that seems kind of weird. And you're short. here's the thing. You're not providing the juice to make a relationship redemptive. And that's, what's, that's what we're trying to build in our, in our mad groups, the culture where people are experiencing the juice to see redemption in their lives. And that's why, guys, if we are in mad groups and you're not telling people the truth, this is, you're a naive person. You're worshiping yourself. God, covenant work is supposed to be happening in our mad groups. In your one-on-one relationships, it's not about you seeing people think you're really nice. I don't care if they, people tell you disciple of the year. That's irrelevant. People going for the new Grammy. Like, no, no, it's not about that. It's not about people esteeming you. It's about people falling in love with the Father. It's about people grabbing hold of the gospel and saying, man, he challenged me. I actually don't even like him, but man, he always points me to the cross. I'll take that any day. Guys, we have to have the juice to be redemptive in this body. When you and your mad groups, guys, every person to the newest person, if you just joined a mad group last week, we're asking you to provide the juice and it'll be redemptive. Someone's acting crazy. Someone's talking sin. You graciously say, I don't see where you get that in the Bible, my friend. I love you to death. I'm committed. I'll be here next week. We're going to journey together. Let's not play church, guys, okay? We're not going to be naive. Some of you guys, you have horrible relationships with your spouses, and then someone asks you how things are going, can, can, can I pray for you? You don't even mention it. Do you see how the cancer, do you see the, do you see the lies that Satan has fed us to make you fake it? Where you are in despair in your relationships, and you don't cry out and say, he doesn't love me. I don't think he cares for me. Oh, I'm treating him wrong. I can't stop this sin pattern. At some point, God is saying, look, I want you to trust me, not your, not your selfish desires. of like, well, but if I do it this way, we'll all be happy. You won't be happy. That's the thing. Some of you guys are absolutely miserable because you've been faking 5, 10, 15, 20 years. In your relationships, they, all have, they have glass ceilings because you haven't cracked the ceiling because there's no intimacy. But it seems, I'm sorry for going long, it seems godly people, be like God. And you have the healthy balance of both. You have a forgiver and a reconciler. Where we take on the responsibility as his blood-bought people to say, man, God has forgiven me, man. I, I, I have absolutely no pride. I, I, I forgive you, man. Even if you broke my heart. But I'm going to be honest here. Here's some sin that seems that you have never repented of. And if we can't talk to this, then our relationship is going to be different. And it's hard, and it's going to be unpopular, and I'm going to seem like the guy who's caused the dissension. But I'm, I want to please the Lord, not you. And I want to have a real relationship. That's what I love about our body. I love you guys because I love that the relationships, man, we're crazy, but they're real. We argue, and we, we go there. And, guys, I want you to fight the culture when people come in here and want to plug in. They want to change the culture and make it fake. 
Don't you let that happen. You say, no, no, you came up in here. We real here. Right. <laughs> See what I'm saying? So if you want to do the Mammy Pammy stuff, go back to your little happy church. That's cool. But here, we're going to be about the gospel. And we're going to fight sin. We're going to trust our Savior. And I, and I got the room in this. And anybody, if you're new here, if you're in this house, you got the room to call out me, anybody. This is about the people of God. If I'm in sin, you call me out too. This is, right? That's what we're here for. This, there's no one. Jesus is our telos. He's our end. So guys, I plead to you, ponder, which one are you in a narrative? Which one do you want to be? I want to ask you to consider, if you're not being a disciple right now, I mean, it breaks my heart as people who stop discipleship simply because the gospel is real. And they're like, man, you can't get in my life too much pain there. I'm going, that's why this is the very place you need to be. Don't run. This is where you need to be. People committed to you. I absolutely adore this body. I'm, I'm blown away. I'm, I don't even know what, guys, I'm telling you, I don't know what to do when I see people run from a body where people will give everything to you. You guys are insane. You're unbelievable people. How do you run when you got people committed to you? So, which one? And so I ask you to consider that. And if, you, if, you haven't been, if, you, if you're not in a discipleship relationship and you're in this body and you're just doing church, you, you don't even get what we're about. This is about us asking, what does it mean for us to be a covenant community on mission, just living a life for Christ? I want to ask you to consider discipleship, being discipled, being poured into by a man or woman of God here, entering into community well. I want to ask you to consider your relationships. If there's people right now where you're like, oh, you, want to, you want to talk to them, you're like, oh, man, we still don't talk because there's something I did. Or there's something I didn't ever say to them that's on my heart. If there's someone in this room right now where there's a wedge and you always find yourself, when they come around, you've got to get more coffee. You're hindering what God wants to do in this body. He wants unity in the camp. He wants oneness in the camp. So I'm asking you, please, as a body, let's do that hard work. Okay? Now, I'm not asking you because somebody has a different personality than you to tell them to change their personality. I want no drama. I'm talking about when there's substantive things that in your heart you can't move past. And a relationship, have you ever had that? Where the person thinks everything's cool, but you feel distant. I'm talking about that kind of stuff. God's saying, do that work. Be that one who offers humility. See, I just want to take a risk here. Here's how I'm feeling. For the sake of God. For the sake of Jesus. All right, guys? Let's worship the Lord. We're going to take communion. Is this a communion week? Okay, y'all ain't getting no juice this week. This is not communion week. All right.